Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to begin reading at verse 2. Let's read the word of the Lord together. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, as we hear your word proclaimed. Give me clarity of thought and speech, I ask. Help me to to only proclaim those truths that you have given and would you, you would have us to know and keep my own personal opinions to myself and give us ears to hear not so much what the preacher is going to say, but what the Spirit of the Lord will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith, and I ask that you will draw them to a place of repentance. Bring them back to you, Lord. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Several hundred years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah was able to look through the telescope of time and see the day when the salvation of God would be extended to all humanity and a new kingdom would be established. This kingdom wouldn't be a temporal earthly kingdom, but it would be a kingdom lasting for all eternity. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the prophet proclaimed, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You know, when we look in the first book of the Bible, we find verse 2 of chapter 1 describes this earth as chaotic and dark. But then, immediately after that description, God spoke and light burst forth. You know, as many times as I've read through the Bible, I've never come across any place where God created gloomy. Gloomy enters the picture in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve succumb to the temptation of the serpent. The Advent season is a time when we anticipate the coming of Christ at Christmas. Time to remember and celebrate because the darkness and gloom of humanity and humanity's sin has once and for all been dispelled 
by the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world. See, God designed you to live in the light. Yet we all know there are too many places where the light of hope has been extinguished. You know, without hope, every song is in the minor key. Without hope, the vibrant colors of the rainbow are reduced to shades of gray. Without hope, there are no through streets, only dead ends. Without hope, the weather report is always cloudy with threats of thunderstorms. Without hope, food is bland. Without hope, grief is crushing. Without hope, life is void of meaning and purpose. And this was the condition in which Israel found herself when the prophet Isaiah began his ministry. The passage we read at the beginning of this message was written to the nation of Judah around 700 B.C. At the time of Isaiah's ministry, the nation was in a weary and hopeless place. They had been invaded and there was a threat of even further hostilities. People were on edge. Isaiah describes the condition with depressing words like gloom, distress, exile, scattered, oppressed. At the end of chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, the picture is about as bleak as it can get. The, The New Living Translation says it like this. Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. Because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. You know, most of that could be written about the world in which we find ourselves today, wandering weary and hungry, raging and cursing God, trouble, anguish, despair everywhere, living in darkness. The thing that is missing from Isaiah's message at the end of chapter 8 is the same thing that's missing from the world in which we find ourselves today, hope. But then comes chapter 9. Verse 1 anticipates a major change when it begins, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. And then verse 2 reveals something that makes all the difference. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. In the midst of all this darkness, the prophet sees a shining vision of the light of hope. And this hope isn't found in something, it's found in someone. A couple of years ago, Pastor Larry put me onto a book titled The Science of God. It was written by Gerald L. Schroeder, who is Jewish and a distinguished physicist. In one section of this book, he writes about the relationship between time and light. Now, mind you, this isn't a theology book, and it certainly isn't written from a Christian point of view. But listen to what this renowned scientist says about light and time. He says, light, you see, is outside of time, a fact of nature proven in thousands of experiments at hundreds of universities. A little bit later, he writes, it is highly significant that light was the first creation of the universe. Light existing outside of time and space is the metaphysical link between the timeless eternity that preceded our universe and the world of time, space, and matter within which we live. 
And then this is the statement that really captured my attention as I was reading. He said, light, as with all light-like radiations, the photons of gamma rays, X-rays, light, microwaves, etc., can abandon the ethereal, timeless realm of energy and become matter. In doing so, it enters the domain of time and space. Now, let me boil that down for you because that sounds a lot like the Gospel of John chapter 1, where the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it or control it or conquer it. That sounds an awful lot like John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word, the light, became flesh. That sounds like the words of verse 2 of our text, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. What the prophets saw is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in in unapproachable light. See, the people are walking in darkness, but Isaiah says things are going to change. You may be wandering in darkness. You may have walked that lonely, painful path through the valley of the shadow of death. You may have known defeat, but darkness and death and defeat are not the end of the story. The way it has been is not the way it will always be. God has not forsaken or forgotten. There is hope. This is the vision of the prophet that speaks to us during this Advent season. Light has come. He hasn't just come to the chosen people of Israel, but verse 1 specifically references the light coming to Galilee of the Gentiles. Matthew's gospel picks up this theme in chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, and identifies Jesus as the light spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he writes, leaving Nazareth, Jesus came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes the first couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 9. The light the prophet saw, the light that has come, is none other than Jesus. He isn't just the light of the Jews. He is the light of the world. He is the light of your world. And in this passage, Isaiah speaks to three groups of people during this Advent season. First, he speaks to those walk in, walking in darkness. To you who are walking in darkness, the message is light. You know, in the Bible, darkness is a term describing the human condition that comes when humanity rejects God. Darkness will rule where God's presence is rejected. <clears throat> in his sermon titled, Hope is My Anchor, Pastor Rick Warren talks about what happens when a culture forgets God. He says, when a culture forgets God, wealth is idolized, truth is minimized, life is trivialized, Abortion is legalized, television is vulgarized, advertising is sensualized, everything is sexualized and commercialized, conscience becomes desensitized and anesthetized, education is secularized, free markets are monopolized, race and politics are polarized, sports are scandalized, Morals and ethics are liberalized. 
In entertainment, crime is sensationalized and immorality is popularized. Drugs are legitimized and sin is glamorized. The courts are paralyzed. The breakup of the family is rationalized. Manners are uncivilized. Christians are demonized and God is marginalized. Now, does that sound any, does any of that sound familiar? The only answer to the darkness of this world is the light of Jesus. The only answer to the dark place in which you are walking today is Jesus. It's interesting to me that we celebrate the coming of Jesus to this world in December. We know December 25th isn't the day Jesus was born. But it's, uh, did I mess somebody's theology up right there? We know it isn't the day he was born, but it's the day we set aside to celebrate that birth. What makes this interesting to me is that just a few days before, on December 21st, is the winter solstice. This is the time of the year in the northern hemisphere that is the longest night of the year and the shortest time of daylight in the year. Now think about that. During the darkest day of the year, that's when Christmas pierces the darkness with light. I heard the story about a man who was driving through a mining region when he noticed a large number of mules in an open field. He started asking questions. He was told those mules were work animals from the mines. They had been brought up from the dark passages below in order to preserve their eyesight. Unless they were regularly exposed to sunlight, they would eventually go blind. Now, I don't have to convince you that this is a dark world in which we are living. And it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to get consumed by the darkness. And if you do, you'll lose your spiritual vision. And this is why you need to spend time in the light. Oh, you may have to go to work in a world that is dark. So make sure you spend time in the light of the word. You may be surrounded by gloom and despair. So make sure you spend some time in the light of his presence through prayer. You may rub shoulders with people who have lost their way in the darkness. So you make sure you spend some time in the light of fellowship with people of like faith. When people don't get enough light, they suffer from light deprivation, which results in mood swings and depression. The clinical name is Seasonal Affective Disorder, S-A-D. I'm not making this up. There is only one cure for people suffering from SAD, and that is light. You know, they, they, they set up special light panels in the homes of these people so they get heavy doses of light in order for them to start feeling better. That's the way they treat it. The remedy for the people who walk in darkness is to see a great light. The remedy for the sadness and the discouragement and the disappointment and the heaviness and the anxiety and the fear and the frustration that is a result of walking in darkness is get into the light, the light of Jesus. To those walking in darkness, the vision of the prophet proclaims light. They don't want you to see the vision of the prophet speaks to those walking in the shadow of death. To those walking in the shadow of death, the message is life. I'm preaching to some people who have been walking in the dark valley of the shadow of death this year. There's an empty chair at your holiday celebration this year. Some of you are struggling trying to find a reason to celebrate. For some of you, your loved one hasn't actually died and you haven't had a funeral service 
but because of a grave illness or because of some other severely diminished capacity, it seems like a death. That once vibrant person you knew is now like an empty shell and it feels like a death has occurred. It is to you the prophet speaks and says, those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. It is to you, John 1, 4 speaks and says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life has come to say to you with confident assurance that death does not have the final word in this world. God does. I need to back up and say that again. Death does not have the final word in this world. God does. The darkness of death can never comprehend never control, never conquer the light of the life Jesus brings. Into your grief, the light shines. The light shines, and in Ephesians 1.6, gives you an acceptance that can never be questioned. The light shines, and in 1 Peter 1.3-5, gives you an inheritance that can never be lost. The light shines, and in 2 Corinthians 1.10, gives you a deliverance that can never be canceled. The light shines, and in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, gives you a grace that can never be limited. The light shines, and in Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, gives you a hope that can never be disappointed. The light shines, and in John 15, 11, gives you a joy that can never be diminished. The light shines, and in Romans 8, 35 through 38, gives you a nearness that can never be separated. The light shines, and in John 14, 27, gives you a peace that can never be disturbed. The light shines, and in 2 Corinthians 5.21, gives you a righteousness that can never be tarnished. The light shines, and in Hebrews 5.9, gives you a salvation that can never be taken, taken away. I'm telling you, there is hope for you who are walking in the valley of the shadow of death. Death is not the end. There is something after. See, after weeping comes rejoicing. After mourning comes dancing. After death comes resurrection. After resurrection comes eternal life. So it's too soon to give up on hope. You're still alive, so live. Live in the light of his presence. Keep living. I need to hasten to tell you that the prophet's vision also speaks to those walking in defeat. Those walking in defeat, the message is liberty. In verse 4, the prophet says, For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. The battle of Midian refers to the defeat of the Midianites in Judges chapter 7 by the unlikely warrior Gideon. You remember that story? One, two. I I just didn't know if I need to tell the whole thing or not. Okay. Remember, the Midianites had mercilessly oppressed the people of God, but the yoke of their oppression was broken with a seemingly insignificant band of 300 men whose only weapons were torches, trumpets, and clay jars. So I ask, what are the yokes that burden you? What are the oppressive weights on your shoulders? That's why Jesus has come. He has come to break the yoke and lift the heavy burden. This is what the prophet was talking about in Isaiah 61, verses 1, 2, and 3. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what causes the Apostle Paul to exclaim in Romans 8 and 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Isaiah says this liberty is made possible through something that seems as insignificant as Gideon's 300 men with torches and trumpets and clay jars against the massive Midianite army. You know, when Isaiah looked through the, telescope, the, prophetic, the prophetic telescope of time, he saw the ministry of this light that would shine in the darkness of the world. Long before Dr. Schroeder, Isaiah saw this light becoming matter, entering the domain of time and space in human form. He saw him as a child in the cradle, unto us a child is born. He saw him as a man on a cross, unto us a son is given. And finally, he saw him as a king with a crown. The government will rest on his shoulders. In the cradle, he's the fulfillment of prophecy, pulling together the hundreds of individual prophetic threads and seamlessly weaving them into one unique person. On the cross, he is a forceful presence, dealing the ultimate defeat to Satan and his demonic horde, providing the means for God and man to be reconciled. On the throne with a crown, he is the one who is forever preeminent, the one who rules and reigns from everlasting to everlasting, whose kingdom has no end, king of kings and lord of lords. Isaiah continues and said, this child, the light of the world, is wonderful counselor that takes care of all the decisions of life. He is mighty God that takes care of all the demands of life. He is everlasting father that takes care of all the dimensions of life. He is Prince of Peace that takes care of all the disturbances of life. John 1, 5 says the light shines in the darkness. Notice that it didn't say the light shined in the darkness. The word is present tense. The word is a reminder that the light is continuing to shine right now. The light shines right now. The light is right now shining as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The light is right now shining, taking care of all the decisions and demands and dimensions and disturbances of your life. That means when you fall, he lifts you up. When you fail, he forgives you. When you stumble, he steadies you. When you are hurt, he heals you. When you're broken, he mends you. When you're blind, he leads you. When you're hungry, he feeds you. When you face trials, he is with you. When you face problems, he comforts you. When you face loss, he provides for you. Oh, isn't the Lord good? There are two little words that bring the vision of the prophet right to your, door, to your doorstep this morning. Two little words that make this more than a prophetic message to a people in a long ago time in a faraway place. Those two little words are to us. 
To us, a child is born. All right, let, let, let me bring it down this way. Put your name there. To Carlton, a child is born. To Clint, a child is born. To John, a child is born. To John, a son is given. To John, in the face of darkness, light has come. To John, in the face of death, light has come. To John, in the face of defeat, light has come. That light not only comes to you, but for those who have placed their trust in Jesus, the light shines in you and through you. And that's what John 1 and 9 means when it says, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. There is no question, there is a lot of darkness in this world right now. Yet in the midst of it all, I've seen the light continue to shine in the lives of those who have placed their hope in Jesus. This year, this year, I've seen the darkness of incredible financial loss descend on people, and yet the light shines. I've seen the darkness of lost health, and the light shines. I've seen the darkness of unexpected death, and the light shines. I've seen the darkness of social unrest, and the light shines. I've seen the darkness of political uncertainty, and the light shines. I've seen the darkness of terrorism and aggression, and yet the light shines. No matter what darkness is hurled against the light, the darkness can never comprehend or control or cancel or conquer it. No matter how deep the darkness, when all is said and done, the light will always triumph. This is the message from the very last chapter of the Bible. When you come down to the end of all things, Revelation 22.5 says, and there will be no longer any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. That's the hope that he brings to us today. Here's what I know. At the end of it all, there will come a time when darkness will be extinguished. And the only constant that will remain is this. The light shines. I don't know if you're going to have to face more darkness in the days ahead. But this I do know, light has come. And because light has come, the darkness will never triumph. This is the vision of the prophet for this Advent season. There is hope because light has come. Bow with me, please. While our heads are bowed for just a moment, I wonder if there's someone who's part of this service who would say to me, Pastor John, I know what you're talking about when you talk about darkness 
I'm walking in that dark place because that's where I feel like I am right now. And I need an infusion of the light of hope in my life. And today I want to turn to Jesus. I want to surrender to him and ask him to bring that light into my life. If that's you, if you just put your hand up and put it right back down, just so I know who I'm praying for today. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, anybody else? Yes, sir. I feel like I'm walking in a dark place. I need his light to shine into my life. Thank you, yeah. Anybody else? Thank you. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, we pause once again to first of all say thank you that light has come. But Lord, so often we, we, we don't recognize it, we don't see it because clouds of gloom, clouds of depression, clouds of disappointment, all kinds of clouds obscure the light from our lives. So today, for these people who have indicated a need and a desire for your light to come to them, I pray that you will break through those clouds, break through those dark clouds. Give us, give us the courage to look up to you one more time. And I pray that your light, the light of your glorious grace will shine to them infusing them with new hope and new courage. Oh, Lord, what was ethereal light has become substance in the form of Jesus. And now I'm praying that Jesus will become real and alive in our hearts in a new and fresh way. For when you light up our lives, the darkness can never conquer it. Let your light shine on us, shine in us, and shine through us. For you, the light of the world, are our light and are our hope today. All our hope is in you, Lord. And I pray that you will give to us a fresh infusion of hope. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayer.